We are continuing our Advent series uh, in the last two chapters of the book of Revelation. And just a reminder why we're looking at the book of Revelation. So Advent simply means coming. And traditionally in the church, Advent is the end of the church calendar, where we look forward to Christ's second coming. Now obviously there's overlap between his first and his second coming because Christmas Day we celebrate his birth and it starts all over again. And so as we look forward to Christmas, the time he came, uh, when he came the first time, uh, it, it informs us in how we ought to look toward him coming the second time. And so Revelation is, these last two chapters are soaked in the reality of what we have to look forward to when Christ returns. And so that is why we're looking at these verses. And so we're in Revelation chapter 22, verse 1 through 6 today. Uh, sounds like you're already there, but that's page 1938 in the Pew Bibles. And if you'll just bear with me until I find it. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, as always, we ask for your spirit to illuminate your word. Help us, Father, to know what is trustworthy and true about these words, that we might worship Jesus, that we might be assured of his love for us, and that we might look forward to the day when the fullness of the things described here is true for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we begin, let me remind you of something I said last week. And that is that no mind can conceive what God has prepared for those who love him. Just like last week and what we're about to look at, God is telling us about something that is inconceivable to us. And so he's using ideas and concepts and images and language that we can wrap our minds around in order to tell us about something that we cannot wrap our minds around. Heaven is people. It's the church. It's the bride of Christ. We are the city and the temple where God dwells forever, and yet it's a place. It's a city temple 
the size of the whole world where the nations come to worship and God and the Lamb are the temple. And then today we see that it's also a garden. It's a, it's a bride, a city, temple, garden. And there are things about this garden that, de- that betray how incomprehensible it is. There's a river flowing from a throne down the middle of a street. There's one tree standing on both sides of a river. The tree yields fruit every month, but as we saw last week, there's no longer any sun or moon, and here it tells us there's no night and no need for the light of the sun, which means there's no way of tracking the months anymore. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, but this is a place where there's no more sadness or sorrow or crying or pain. So what good is it to have leaves that heal when everything's already been restored? God's name is on our foreheads. Is his name literally written on our foreheads or is God trying to tell us something with this language? But as we read in verse 6, the angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. So in what way, then, are these words trustworthy and true? In what way must these words soon take place? And here's the answer to those questions. John is not giving us words, not just giving us words to tell us about how things are going to be someday. He's inviting us also to take hold of this reality right now through believing in Jesus Christ and receiving the salvation he offers. He's inviting us to enter this garden now. And he's inviting us to let our hearts long for the day when we will be in his presence forever. The same way we long for Christmas when family gathers and presents are given. That's, That's only a faint echo of the kind of longing that John is trying to stir in us for when Christ returns. And that is trustworthy and true. So he begins with a new vision from the angel. He says, And the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. So before we move on, we have to kind of get this picture firmly in our minds. There's a throne in the center of this garden temple city. And on the throne are both God and the Lamb. So we have the Father and the Son. And where's the Holy Spirit? Well, he's the river. He's the river proceeding from the Father and the Lamb. And this river is flowing down the middle of the street and it's bringing life and abundance to everything it touches. So it's this life-giving river nurturing all of this 
this plant life. And it's producing 12 crops every month, so it doesn't go dormant in the winter. It doesn't blossom in the spring. There's fruit being produced every month. And most trees, the leaves are insignificant, but, but for these trees, the leaves are for the healing of the nations. When I was a kid, I remember I would get a burn and my mom would break off uh, the leaf of a cactus and she would open up that leaf and there would be this thick, clear liquid in there and then she would put it on my burn and it would cool down my burn. That's just a little hint of what John is talking about here. But these leaves don't just cool down a burn like aloe vera. These leaves heal the nations. So there's a throne with God and the Lamb. There's a river flowing from the throne down the middle of the street, giving life to everything it touches. And I wonder if, for those of you who know your Bibles well, if this whole scene reminds you of something. Right after God first creates the heavens and the earth, in Genesis chapter 2, this is what we read. Now the Lord God had planted a garden east of Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. So there's this place called Eden, which literally means land of delights. And then to the east of Eden, there's a garden where God put the man. And then flowing from the land of delights through the garden, there's a river giving life to all kinds of wonderful plants, including the tree of life. And when humans were created, they were placed in a garden to the east of the land of the lights, and they knew nothing of sin and sorrow. And in chapter 3 of Genesis, we're told that God would come and walk with the man and the woman in the cool of the day. But then Adam and Eve sinned. And because they sinned, they lost all of this. And so if Eden is paradise lost, then what we're reading in Revelation is paradise found. Adam and Eve and all their descendants were sent out of the garden, east of the land of delights, where they could drink from the river of the water of life and eat from the tree of life and walk with God in the cool of the day, all because they sinned and they did not Trust God and his word. And the story of the Bible between Genesis and Revelation is the story of how God makes a way for his people to be back in his presence again, where we will be his people and he will be our God. And the picture we're seeing in this last chapter of the book of Revelation is a picture of what it will be like to experience the fullness of God's presence once again without sin. But woven throughout the story in between is the promise that God will do that and that we can taste something of what we've lost even now. 
The rivers of living water flowing from the land of the lights are available to you and me right now today. And one day we will have them completely and unhindered. That is the promise of Christianity. And scripture is filled with this imagery of water. And sometimes it's just talking about water. Sometimes there'll be a, a narrative where you know, somebody brings their animals to the, to the spring to drink or to the well to drink. Well, that's just talking about water. There's no deeper spiritual meaning to it. But many times, Scripture connects water to spiritual reality. So listen to Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight, that word delight, is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Do you hear the echoes of the Garden of Eden there? And do you notice that the law of God is the source of delight? When we don't walk with God, the wicked, when we don't spend our time with mockers, but instead when we delight in the law of God and meditate on it day and night, then we're like a tree planted by streams of water. When we delight in God's law, we're taken back to Eden. Or these words from the prophet Jeremiah, cursed is the one who trusts in man who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. So the one who trusts in the Lord, the one who does not turn away from him, even when the heat of life in a fallen world is bearing down on them, that is the one who is like a tree planted by the water, sending its roots by the stream, whose leaves are always green and never fails to bear fruit. Or these words from Psalm 36. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. And notice here David is mixing the imagery with temple and garden like we find in Revelation. You give them drink from your river of delights, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. So those who take refuge in the shadow of God's wings are those who feast on the abundance of God's house. He gives them drink from his river of delights, literally his river of Eden. Being in his presence is the fountain of life, and in his light we see light. Right? Because there's no light apart from God. There's no good apart from him. And in the very next verse, the psalmist says this, Continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. 
those who experience God's love, those who feast in the abundance of his house and drink from his river of delights are those who take refuge in him. They know him. They're upright in heart. And these verses teach us that the one who drinks from this Eden-like stream of water now is the one who's faithful, the one who keeps God's commands and delights in his law, the one who trusts him even in the face of trials and temptations. And all these verses are encouraging God's people to come to him now, to delight in his law, to trust him even when the heat of life is bearing down, to take refuge in him, to know him, to be upright in heart. And the promise is that if we do, we will be like trees planted by this water. We will drink from the river of his delights. But what's interesting about the Old Testament is that other times, this water is, is just free to anyone. And that being near this water or drinking this water is something that, that God does in us and for us. Listen to these familiar words from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the paths, the right paths for his namesake. Did you hear that? God does it all. He makes, he leads, he refreshes, he guides, all for his namesake. And Isaiah, this river is for the poor and needy. The poor and needy search for water, but there is none. Their tongues are parched with thirst, but I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will make rivers flow on barren heights and springs within the valleys. I will turn the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into springs. Then later in chapter 43, Isaiah says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And here the wilderness is our sin and suffering. Our sinful hearts in this sinful world are the wasteland. And we can't do anything about it. We need God to come and do a new thing. And here in Isaiah, he's promising that he will that he's making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. So sometimes it sounds like this water that comes from the land of delights is available to those who are faithful. Other times it sounds like this water is available to anyone who realizes they're poor and needy and that God is the one who will give it freely. In fact, later in Isaiah, we, we've already read this verse a couple weeks ago, God invites anyone to come. He says, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. So the Old Testament is literally soaked in this imagery of water and wilderness, where the water is available right now that it's something God freely gives, and at the same time, it's for those who trust him and walk with him. 
but it's also a promise for the future. Listen to these words from Joel. Then you will know that I, the Lord your God, dwell in Zion. My holy hill, Jerusalem, will be holy. Never again will foreigners invade her. And that day the mountains will drip new wine, and the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley of Acacias. So when will that day be? Well, it sounds like, this sounds like the same scene that John is describing for us in Revelation. And then the prophet Ezekiel. At the end of the book, there's this nine-chapter-long scene where this angel is taking Ezekiel around and he's showing him this temple. And he's measuring it and he's showing him all around this temple. And it goes on and on and on for chapter after chapter after chapter. And then about eight chapters in, in Ezekiel 47, all of a sudden Ezekiel notices water trickling out of the threshold of the temple. A temple that happens to face east, which if you'll remember is where the Garden of Eden is in relation to Eden. And at first this water's at his ankles and it's up to his knees and it's up to his waist and pretty soon there's so much water that he can't even, he can't even cross the river. And then the angel tells Ezekiel, this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. And then we read, fruit trees of all kind will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Do you see? The angel is showing Ezekiel the same scene. He's showing him exactly what John is showing us in Revelation, where there's this bride, city, temple, garden with water flowing out from the temple, the land of delights, or the throne of God and the Lamb, whatever you want to call it, right? Because in Revelation, we see that the God and the Lamb are the temple. And the Old Testament ends with all these pictures of water and what it is and what it does for sinners like us, but it doesn't tie them all together. We know there's water and wilderness, faithfulness and grace, trust and mercy, present and future. So is it something we can have now? And if we desire to drink from the river of God's delights, do we have to be faithful and obedient? Do we have to delight in God's law? Or can we just run to him for refuge? Will he just come and make us lie down in green pastures and lead us beside still waters? Can we just come to him thirsty and buy this water without cost? Or are we supposed to be waiting for a time when the mountains will drip new wine and the hills will flow with milk and all the ravines of Judah will run with water, as Joel tells us. And the Old Testament doesn't tie all these things together. It, it kind of leaves them all out there. But, but if we're honest, the answer to all these questions, questions I just asked is yes. All of the above. But then Jesus comes as a baby in a manger. 
And John tells us in the first chapter of his gospel that he became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And that word dwelling is the word tabernacle, which was the tent in the wilderness where God first dwelt with his people. It was the first temple because Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And then in chapter 2 of John's gospel, we learn that Jesus is the true temple of God. If you remember when we were in Matthew chapter 2 and 3, we realized that Jesus is the true Israel of God. He came out of Egypt. He wandered in the desert. And then in chapter 4 of John's gospel, Jesus meets a woman at the well, and he tells her this. Everyone who drinks of this well water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. And do you see when you have all of the background of this Old Testament imagery of water, and it's present in your mind, and then you read these words from Jesus, all of a sudden, the impact of them is just so much deeper. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Do you see it? The Garden of Eden, the Psalms, and the prophets are all pointing to Jesus because Jesus is the temple of God from whom the Holy Spirit flows to us. And you guys, we haven't even gone into all of the connections from heaven to Eden to the tabernacle to the promised land, to the temple. I just didn't have time. Jesus comes into the desert wasteland of our hearts, just like the spring of water in the desert that Isaiah told us about. And then in John chapter 7, Jesus goes to Jerusalem and publicly, we're told, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about what we saw in Eden, what we saw in the Psalms and the prophets. He's talking about what we see in Revelation. Jesus is the land of delights. Jesus is the temple. He gives the Holy Spirit to anyone who believes in him. And when we believe, when we trust in Jesus, all of the water imagery from the Old Testament becomes true for us. All of the hope that it gives us is our hope that we can hold on to and know is true for us. And then we become like trees planted by streams of water in him through his perfect obedience yet we still produce fruit in season. As he transforms the wasteland of our hearts, we begin to produce fruit so that we can continue to trust in him even when the heat of this life is bearing down on us. And all of this is free to anyone who will simply trust in Jesus. Anyone who will come to him and buy and eat without cost. So when John sees the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city, what he's seeing is the water that Jesus gives. It's clear as crystal because it cannot be contaminated by our sin. Instead, it makes us 
white as snow, right? Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? So again, I didn't tie together heaven and Eden and the promised land and the temple and the tabernacle, but I also am not tying together fountains and blood and baptism and all of this flows. It's all this tapestry, this beautiful tapestry all throughout Scripture. And it's coming from God and the Lamb because all good things come from Him. And in this city temple garden, God and the Lamb are the temple. They are the land of delights. And it's flowing down the street because Jesus is the way. And he's the road to eternal life. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Right again, remember from last week, 12 is a number that represents God's people. And here we are, planted by streams of water, bearing fruit, right? Just like Psalm 1 told us, just like Jeremiah 17 told us. This is a picture of salvation in Christ. This is a picture of when our hearts are completely restored, the barren wilderness of our selfishness and sin are gone, and all that remains is unending fruit. And this fruit is being produced by people from every tribe and language and nation and tongue, as everyone in heaven sang back in Revelation 5, you are worthy to take the scroll singing to Jesus and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of, and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. So we see and taste this even now in our world. Christianity is alive and well in every continent on our planet. And when you, need a, when you meet another Christian from another tribe or language and tongue, it's this beautiful experience where you, where you realize even though you were raised in a different culture, you and that person have more in common than you could have ever imagined simply because you're drinking from the same river of life. You have the same future. And John goes on, No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. So remember Adam and Eve, when they sinned, right? There was the curse, the ground was cursed, the, the serpent was cursed. And there will be a time when that curse is completely removed. We'll be able to serve God in His heavenly temple forever. And it starts now, right? The moment we believe in Jesus, we become a kingdom of priests. And that living water starts welling up inside us to eternal life. We were created to work and keep the garden, right? That's what Adam was given in Genesis 2. And we begin now serving God as a kingdom of priests. And one day we'll serve him freely and perfectly forever. And John goes on, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. A couple verses, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. So, so Paul's talking about the same moment. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. In John's first letter, he says this, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be 
has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So there's going to be this moment where we see God face to face. When all of our sins is gone, we enter into the fullness of his love for eternity. But listen to what else Paul says about what's happening even now. In 2 Corinthians 3, he says, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So again, this picture from Revelation is something we have already in part, and not yet fully. But as we contemplate the Lord's glory, his face is coming into clearer focus for us. We're being transformed into his image. And his name is on our forehead because we belong to him. He bought us with a price. And and it's written there so there'll never be another fall. We are so fully his that we can never choose to sin again. And finally, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. No more darkness, unending light, will reign forever and ever. John is inviting us to believe in Jesus now and to never stop trusting in him. To let our minds be filled with who Christ is and that one day for those who conquer in this life by their faith in him, we will reign with him forever and ever. Friends, I don't know what it is that that you long for day in and day out. I know for myself, this last week, I, I've, I've longed for things that are, that are less important than this. And what John is doing here, by pointing us back through all these scriptures, is he's inviting us to, to fill our hearts with this. The Bible wants us, God wants us to long for heaven. He wants us to not be satisfied with anything less than rivers of living water now. And this picture is not only a picture of what will be, but it's a picture of what is accessible to us now by faith, if we will receive and believe. And for most of us, we've received and believed many moons ago. But the Christian life is a life of continuing to come back to these rivers of living water through Christ, by faith, to be reminded of his love for us, to be strengthened for the journey. Let's pray. Father, this passage is, it seems so deep. It seems like we've barely scraped the surface of what you're saying to us here. And yet, Father, the pictures that we've glimpsed at already today are so wonderful to us that we, we can hardly imagine. Perfect abundance, perfect feasting, perfect satisfaction in your presence for forever. Serving and yet reigning worshiping. Father, may this be what we look forward to. May this be the most profound desire of our hearts and our lives, God. 
to where sin would seem like stabbing a pin into our eye. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.